The following audio is from the chapel at Fishhawk. More information about the chapel at Fishhawk is available at www.thechapelfh.org. To the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 12 this morning. Uh, we're in a sermon series in the Gospel of Mark called Marked, and you'll notice behind me uh, there's a little icon there. And these are the things that we want to be marked by as we enter into a relationship with God. The first is that God is our king and we are citizens of his kingdom. The cross on the right there is because we have a savior who died for us on the cross. The dove is the spirit that fills us and the heart on the other side is when that spirit fills us and we go out, we are called to love our neighbor as ourselves. And if you have not been here, uh, or if you're new, one of the things that God put on my heart for this sermon series is that if we read something in a text on a Sunday, we are going to do something related to that concept either today or throughout the week. So for example, if we, uh, in the past week, we, we read about baptism and we baptized somebody. And because of that, we're actually doing a baptism today at Apollo Beach because somebody that came to know Jesus recently uh, contacted Ree and Eric, who they're friends with, and and this lady said, uh, you know, I had a dream that I was getting baptized at the beach. Do you think Pastor Ryan would drive to the beach to baptize me? As if I need another reason to go to the beach. So I said, uh, I'm not going to hear your dream and say, well, you know, it's nice, the beach and all, but we're just going to baptize you here instead. No, we're going to go to the beach and it's going to be a miracle because we might baptize this person in the red tide. And if they live, then God loves them. They don't, then we know what happened. No, I'm just kidding. Um, we're, we're good to Apollo Beach, so there's no red tide. It's just the normal Tampa disaster that's there. Um, but it will be good. So today, Mark chapter 1, verse 12, and we're really going through three stories. And one of the difficult things for many people about Mark's gospel is that he rushes through the whole thing. It feels like uh, that moment in Toy Story where Woody is on the rocket and his cheeks are shaking in the wind because Mark just goes, Jesus did this, the people reacted. Jesus did this, the people reacted. And the details that are in Matthew and Luke specifically are often left out of Mark. And that's what we're going to discover today. So we're going to read this bad boy. And then I'm going to pray again. I know that we prayed. I know that Charlie prayed. And I'm going to pray and I hope you pray as well. I'm going to read just the first section. This is right after Jesus is baptized and he comes up from the water and God speaks from heaven and says, this is my son, my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. And if you missed last week, man, did you miss out? Uh, We made people from their own words, not my words. I would have said it, but I didn't want to make fun of them. We had multiple people doing some ugly crying. You know, ugly crying is, you you know what cute crying is, right? Cute crying is like when you're watching some lifetime movie and the tear just goes, and you smile like it's so warm. You know, ugly crying is where your face contorts like you just ate a lemon and squeezed lemon in your eyes. And you just sobbing. And at the end, multiple people came up and said, I don't know what happened today, but you made me ugly cry. And I said, I'm not going to confirm or deny whether you were ugly, but you were for sure crying. Because we had people share And we pointed out that when we confess, we are God's beloved sons and daughters because of what Jesus did, not because of what we do. And now, as Jesus rises out of the water, here's what happens. The Spirit, immediately, everyone say immediately. Immediately. Not in a couple days, not five minutes later, immediately. When Jesus comes out, God says, this is my beloved Son. Now the Spirit says, we're going. Immediately drove Jesus, him, out into the wilderness 
And he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals and the angels were ministering to him. This is the first part of the story we're going to read today. We're going to continue on, but I just need to pray before we we start dissecting this passage. Father, so often people come here, including myself, Lord, just for more information or maybe some inspiration, I pray that today we would experience transformation. That today we would experience conviction to do something because of what you have done for us. Lord, there are weeks where your spirit is so tangible and thick and people can sense it on their hearts. Sometimes it's through the song. Sometimes it's through something that the children tell us after service. Sometimes it's in the message. Sometimes it's simply your voice cutting through it all. Lord, be that voice today. Lord, don't let us sit idly by in comfort. Challenge us. Inspire us and change us in Jesus' name. Amen. The Spirit drove him out into the wilderness. Today's idea is follow the leader. In in this moment, Jesus was baptized and the Spirit led Jesus out into the wilderness. How many of you have have had, had or have mentors in life? It doesn't have to be spiritual, but any kind of mentor. Okay, I am a, what you call a mentor junkie. Um, I like finding people who can pour into me for various things. And sometimes mentors last for just 20 minutes, and sometimes they last for a lifetime. Uh, I ran into a guy over at a gas station, and he pulled up his car next to mine. I feel bad anytime this happens for people, because when someone pulls up across the pump from me, I'm praying, Lord, should I talk to them? And sometimes it's to tell them about Jesus. But this time God said, I want you to ask him a question. I want you to ask this guy how he balances faith and work. And I didn't know this guy at all. I don't know if he had faith. He could have had faith in the Dalai Lama. I didn't know. So I'm pumping my gas. Glug, 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 glug. And I look over and I say, hey, um, weird question. How do you balance faith and work? And his eyes lit up. He said, well, let me tell you. And then he goes, wait a second, are you a believer? I'm like, well, I believe in some things. And he goes, in Jesus, I said, yeah. And then we had a conversation for 20 minutes. We clogged up the gas pump, just talking about faith and work. And then he left, and I never saw him again. Because I'm terrible at that follow-up thing, so I forgot to be like, hey, can I get your number? He just left, like an angel flying away. Other mentors of mine are men who, um, in the ministry, I remember I had two different types of mentors. One was a mentor that said, go do this, go do that. And I would go do it, like a good Oompa Loompa should. And another mentor said, we're going to set up a, a thing for the youth group. It's a Seder supper where we set up a low table and we, we celebrate the Passover like Jesus did. And I said, great, what does that mean? He said, well, to set up low tables, we have to get these cinder blocks and move them up to the youth room. Now, this church where I was on staff at was three stories. The youth room was in the second story, but the cinder blocks were in the parking garage basement. So I had to go up flights of stairs with dozens of cinder blocks. Now, I had one mentor one year who made me do this. And it was the first year, and I said, this is the worst, because it was just me carrying cinder blocks up flights of stairs, flights of stairs. I had another mentor who, when he told me we're going to do it again, I thought, no, Lord. But then that mentor, who was older, came down and grabbed cinder blocks with me. And the whole time I just thought, 
this is amazing that this old man could carry cinder blocks. No, I didn't think that. <laughs> but it was amazing that he helped. Now, we all have stories of people we've followed, people that have inspired us, people that have made our life better. I want you to stop for 30 seconds and think about one of your people. I want you to think about a time where they made you a better human being. If you need to close your eyes and just recall the moment. 30 seconds, go. Okay. Doesn't that feel good? I was thinking about my grandpa on my Filipino side. Um, I didn't grow up with my dad in the house. My grandpa taught me everything about, like, anything I do know about the Filipino culture is from my grandpa. He taught me how to cook rice, um, which I thought everyone knew how to do until I married a white woman. <laughs> and I realized it's not an inherent gift. And... Um, taught me how to, to take your adobo. It's this, it's this way that Filipinos and some other cultures cook the meat, and you use a leftover adobo the next morning, and you fry rice up with some green onions and some uh, soy sauce and oyster sauce. You cook the rice in bacon grease, rest in peace, bacon grease, and, um, and then you put the adobo on top with the, the fried egg. Oh, you guys, it's, it's mouth-watering. I would kill something for bacon today. I guess I'd have to kill a pig, technically. It's also where um, I don't know any Tagalog. I meet Filipino people. First question is, do you speak Tagalog? And I said, only what my grandfather taught me in the kitchen, which is when he dropped an egg on the ground. Those aren't the Tagalog words that you can say as a pastor because we'd have some Filipinos lingering around here. I don't want to sin for them and make you laugh. But it's, it's the little things that I thought about the way that he showed kindness um, to me, and he, he hid it from my grandma. I lived in his back house for a while. They had this property with three houses, and I lived in the back house, and he, he told me, like a good Catholic lectern reader should, he said, okay, Ryan, I'll charge you $400. I tell your grandma, you pay 600 Okay, deal, grandpa. Till the day he died, and then I shared that at his funeral. <laughs> It went over well with my grandma. I figure if there's a time I'm going to get away with it, it's when grandpa went to be with Jesus. But he taught me through hard times and through good times. I need us to understand the very first thing that we're looking at today is that sometimes following God is going to be sweet and beautiful and you're going to learn amazing things. Sometimes following God, you're going to be in the wilderness. I don't like the fact that so many preachers will just lump Christianity into this American dream that says, if you come to Jesus, then you'll have more health, you'll be wealthier, you'll be happier, because sometimes it goes the exact opposite. I've met many, many people who have great lives, and they come to Jesus, and it gets harder, they get poorer, but there's something that they get in return. Now, the Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness. 
to be tempted by Satan, the accuser. We don't know anything about fasting because that's not in this text. I'm not going to read in what Matthew and Luke tell us about this account. It's that he was there being tempted. And we know that Jesus did not sin. We know that sometimes when God calls you to do something, calls you to follow him, it will be into a period of difficulty. If anyone in here is going through a period of difficulty, someone let me know. Difficulty, anybody? Okay. Three honest people. So when you're tempted, I need you to understand this. You're going to be tempted to release your trust in God's way and cling on to trusting in something else. This is what Jesus was tempted to do. He was tempted by the accuser to let go of something God's way and believe in a lesser way of living. A way of living that takes control. A way of living that leads to worry or doubts. A way of worry that a way of life that uh, surrenders to someone that's not God. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. Anyone here been so tempted, they think, that was beyond my ability? That's me. I'll raise my hand. I'm going to preach to myself for just two minutes. Um, anyone here ever been tempted and failed so hard, and then you go back and you read this passage, you say, that passage does not make sense because I just got tempted and fell on my face. That's me. Anyone here been having the strongest Jesus-y day of their life? Where you like go out of a church service, you're feeling pumped for God, you're full of love and forgiveness and mercy, and then you go out to lunch and the first thing that happens is one of your kids just spills a Sprite and it goes on the ground and the table and your legs and your shoe. And all of a sudden, mercy begins shrinking like it's in the desert heat. Yeah. And then, and then after your son does that, you look over at your spouse like, is someone going to clean this up? And as your spouse looks back at you with the same look, you go to clean it up. And as you do that, your sleeve from your Sunday best dips in the marinara sauce. And then you get back in your car after this horrendous lunch. And you're driving home and your gaslight goes on. And you think, I'm not going to make it. Because Fishhawk doesn't believe in multiple gas stations. This is all a hypothetical. Lord, no temptation has overtaken me that is not common to man. You understanding that Jesus went to be tempted by Satan, not so, not so that he would just have this story to put in the Bible, but so that when Satan and sin come at you in the wilderness, you can say, Jesus lived through this and didn't sin, and he lives in me. So I don't have to worry about the things that everyone else is telling me to worry about. I don't have to stress out. Because a Sprite, the worst it can do is leave sticky shoes. The worst that marinara can do is send me to go buy a new t-shirt. The worst that running out of gas can do is having a stranger come and help. No temptation has overtaken you. And we're going to get into that in a little bit. I want to keep reading. Verse 14. Because the Spirit is quick. It just goes, here's what happened, and Jesus is out. Now verse 14. 
Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. The gospel, every time you see it, means good news of God. Good news. Everyone say good news. Okay. And saying, the time is what? Fulfilled. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the good news. Oh, man. It's my favorite topic. The gospel. It's my favorite topic Because Christians can't talk about it enough, yet I meet too many followers of Jesus who don't believe it enough. The time is fulfilled. What time? Here's what time. Luke 4, 18 to 19, some of my favorite verses. I think this is my next tattoo. I just want to get it tattooed like somewhere where I can see it all the time. Maybe my neck, a good prison tat. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Don't text me. I'm not going to do it, moms. Okay. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. This is what Jesus is saying, his first like, amazing sermon. He unrolled this scroll in the midst of a Jewish synagogue, and he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news, gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So if the Spirit leads Jesus to the wilderness... Because God is going to lead us, all of us, into a time of wilderness training. Because it's only in the wilderness training that we can learn that these things that we think will keep us safe and secure, money, family, reputation, those things will not build up your life when a storm hits. Those things will be washed away by the hurricane. And then he goes right from the wilderness into, I need to tell you now what's coming and what is here. The good news. It's not just good news to inspire you. It's not just good news to say, it's going to be okay. Your sins are dealt with. It's the news of an entirely different kingdom colliding with earth through Jesus. It's good news for the poor. It sets people who are captive free. We can all be captive in a variety of ways. As a matter of fact, I'm convinced that all of us here have parts of our lives that are being held captive by something. None of us is exempt. We're held captive by some of our fears in life. Fears that we won't measure up. Fears that if we let go of something, then we will fall and never be able to recover. Has anyone seen the Mr. Rogers movie yet? It's in like, it was in select theaters, and it's coming out in digital, iTunes probably. Uh, Mr. Rogers. Does everyone know who Mr. Rogers is? Okay. Does anyone not know who Mr. Rogers is? Okay, so people from England and uh, Peruvians. Okay, <laughs> that's cool. Um, Mr. Rogers was a the TV children's icon. And if you're a modern parent, they have a remake called Daniel Tiger. And there's a documentary about him, and it is not what you think it would be. Like, you think you're going to go see this sappy documentary about a Presbyterian minister, minister who did a children's show, and it's going to be all clean, cut, and tidy. It is not that at all. But one of the things that really stood out to me was that Mr. Rogers had this battle his whole life with being loved and loving others. And on his deathbed, before he um, fell into a coma, 
um, he leaned over to his wife, and, and keep in mind, he had he'd gone to seminary, he had his Master's of Divinity, he had done this children's program, he had taught really a nation how to love and how to deal with difficult topics in a way that no one else at that time ever had, and I don't think anyone has since. But sitting there on his bedside, before he faded away, he said to his wife, because he had been reading uh, the end of Matthew, the final judgment day, and, and he leaned over and said, um, do you think that I am a sheep? Like in the sense of, do you think that I'm a follower of Jesus, a true follower? After all that he did, after all the people he loved, and he never was pushy with his faith. He never was uh, explicit in ways that maybe some preachers at the time wanted him to be. And his wife reassured him. She said, Fred, if anyone's a sheep, you're a sheep. And then he went into a coma shortly after that and passed away. I think that there's this fear that all of us have. We're here because either you want to be inspired, you want to be educated. Um, That's never my goal. I don't mind if you get inspired. I don't mind if you learn a little bit more. I want to see people who are held captive in some area of their lives be set free. I'm here to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, that God would enter into our human story and that we would turn away from the things that we try to get satisfaction from, and we would find our satisfaction in Jesus. This is what Jesus is calling us to follow. In this Mark series, I'm I'm pre-planning some things. we got the blessing bag table out back there, because um, I said, whatever happens in the story, I want to do as a church family. So when Jesus feeds 5,000 people or 4,000 people, um, I'm, we're going to have to feed that many people. When Jesus walks on water and calms a storm, I'm praying that there's not a hurricane at that time, because that'll be awkward. Or maybe I want there to be a hurricane so Jesus can show off. In a couple of weeks, when Jesus begins healing people of skin conditions and blindness, we're going to have anyone with skin conditions or poor eyesight. I don't like wearing these. I wear them on Sunday because I can't read the screen back there without them. But I don't like them because they add 10 years of nerdiness to me. Sorry, glass people. There's something that we need to understand in this game of follow the leader. Is that Jesus is leading us on a specific path. It's not a path for your health, your prosperity, your temporary happiness. It's a path that leads to eternal happiness, eternal wealth, eternal prosperity, and, and sometimes we will be in the wilderness as we're trying to figure this all out. It's a path where if you're not loving poor people, you may not have understood God's love fully yet. It's a path where if you're not proclaiming liberty to captive people, if you're not preaching that good news to yourself, you may not have received it yet. And we're going we're gonna to get to what that means because here goes Jesus. He goes right from there to verse 16. Passing along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon. Simon, for those of you who don't know, later becomes Peter, gets renamed. They were casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately, everyone say immediately. They left their nets and followed him. Oh. And then it just keeps going and going on a little farther. It's like Jesus just keeps walking. He says, hey, 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 Simon, 
Andrew, come on, follow me. And they just drop what they're doing and follow Jesus. And then he just keeps walking. He just keeps walking and he, he sees James and John, the sons of Zebedee, the sons of thunder. And they were in their boat mending their nets. <laughs> and immediately he called them and they left their father, Zebedee, in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Imagine poor Zebedee. Like Jesus says, hey, James and John, come follow me. They're all working. Family business. Just mending those nets. The boys just get up and peace out. And Zebedee's like, I'm only here. Where are you going? John, get back here right now. It's a, isn't it hard when we have to set our kids free sometimes? Or, or maybe set our friends or spouses to do something that's different from what we're, our vision was for their life. And it mostly happens with kids. I see too many parents putting all of their hopes and dreams in their children. And it bugs me to no end because I have children and because I'm a realist. Exhibit A, if Jackson wants to pursue a sport, I'm putting him in a sport where height is an advantage because he's tall. If Silas wants to play basketball, I'm going to steer him toward a water polo or something. If Savannah wants to be a ballerina, I'm going to divert her to be a UFC fighter. Because they're built differently. But, but as a parent, we have these hopes and these dreams for our kids. And, and you're thinking, oh, not me. I'm a, I let my kids choose their own course. Really? What if your kid came to you, your sophomore year of high school, and said, Mom, Dad, I decided I'm not going to college. Your head would explode after we scraped you off the ground. And parents, stop looking at your kids. What if your kid said, Mom, Dad, I'm not going to go to college. I want to go serve as a missionary for two years overseas in the Philippines so I could learn more Tagalog than Pastor Ryan. And some of your parents are thinking, no way. Why is that? Is college going to save our children from something? Probably not. If college saves our kids from anything, it's rational, critical thinking. And I went there for a long time. Yeah, I had to unlearn all those degrees. What I like in this story is that John lets him go, but, but I like the immediacy of it. Follow me. Not think about me. <laughs> There's this, um, uh, Pastor Francis Chan is a very funny bit that he does about this, what it means to follow Jesus and listen to and obey Jesus. And it's, it, it was funny. It's funnier now that I have kids because it happens all the time. Um, but in this case, if you sent your kid away to clean their room, he said, go clean your room. And they went upstairs and came down and said, Dad, I went upstairs and I thought about cleaning my room. I thought about it deeply. I journaled about cleaning my room. I looked around at the mess, and I envisioned what it would be like if it were clean. And then I came back downstairs. Now, as a dad, I've got one response for that. And it's not usually the kindest one. I'll try one time. Go back up there and physically pick up the objects that are on the floor and put them where they belong. Now, if my son went upstairs eager, I get it this time, Dad. And if he went upstairs and he's gone, and I hear some rustling, and he comes back downstairs and he says, Dad, you'll never believe what I did. I went upstairs 
And I took that sentence you told me, and I translated it from the original language. <laughs> and I parsed all of the sentences out, and I knew exactly what you meant. I'd give them a new meaning. <laughs> we do this with the Bible. It's so odd. Go tell people that there's good news for them. And you may be thinking, I, I don't have anything that I know. Like, what do you mean? I can't explain the gospel. I don't know what to do if, if two people knock on my door. I don't know the words to say. The, the words to say are, were you captive and are you now following Jesus? Share that story. But unfortunately, I don't see a lot of this. What we see in this story, Jesus comes up and immediately they followed him. They didn't say, Lord, I need five minutes. This is the type of conversion I want to see. And I love that Jesus doesn't, he kind of uses what they're doing. They were fisher, fishermen and he turned them into fishers of men. God isn't just trying to take you out and make you a new person. He already made you who you are with the gifts, passions, talents, etc. What God is going to do is take you from where you are and make it about Jesus. There may or may not be a video of me crumping going on the internet right now. Because I was warming up for my service before you all got here. And Re, our worship director, betrayed me. And put it on something. It's on Facebook. If we're not friends, don't add me today because I'll decline you. In this idea of, of instantaneous following, stop thinking about what you should do. Stop thinking about what you will maybe do. Just go do what Jesus calls you to do. Share what he's already done in your life. Maybe you're a salesman. Now you're going to become a salesman for Jesus. Maybe you're a dancer. Now you could dance for Jesus. That means like you may be a, the type of dancer that churches don't like to have attend their services. You trade dancing on one stage and you join the choir for a little bit instead. Maybe you're an insurance salesman. Maybe you sell life insurance, which I think if you have a family... Get life insurance, okay? Because there's so many GoFundMes that people send me. And I can't fund things. I'm a pastor. I can fund a few things. But, but get life insurance. But maybe instead of just being a life insurance salesman, you help people see the benefit and the moral goodness that life insurance can be. But you also show them, this is temporary. My philosophy has always been, when I die, I leave enough money for my wife that she is taken care of. But I don't want to have such a high policy that I incentivize her to murder me on a bad day. Find that zone for you. Whatever it is. You don't want to make them sin. Like, I don't want to get $2 million policy. I would not be here next weekend. Sell insurance, but sell somebody more than insurance. Sell them eternal security. You might be that, that business person. I've seen some of you. You guys, I hustle so much in business. Got to get here. Get this connection. Network here. How about instead of just hustling for your own monetary value to increase, hustle for Jesus. Like work hard for him. Bring him into whatever you're doing and make it all about him immediately. I like that. It's the kind of conversion. And this is what I, I wish I could see more. It's the kind of conversion that makes you go home and pack up stuff and just leave. I've been, uh, I've been telling my kids to not be pastors. My boys both said they want to be a pastor because they're young and they idolize me. That stinks that they're sinning like that. 
And um, what do you want to be when you grow up? And some of their school, you know, before school we do those things. I'm going into the third grade. I want to be a pastor when I grow up. And I say, no, don't do it. Daddy, what should I be? I said, go be a missionary. My wife, amen. Got an amen over here. My wife's like, well, don't, don't we want them to like pray about this? I'm like, I already prayed about it for them. We have a missionary family over here today. Raise your hand, missionary family. Aaron and Sessie and kids. I could not possibly pack up and go to reach unreached people in the jungle because I've got kids. Look over there, you guys. These people went and made kids, I think, in the jungle. <laughs> Guess what? Biology is the same. City or jungle. Well, how can we raise a family? I don't know. And I'm not saying this for all of us, but I'm saying this for like maybe the one person who is already, God's like, follow me, follow me, follow me. Get out of the city. Go to where I tell you to go. Some of you, God's saying, follow me, follow me, follow me. Leave your front door and say hello to your neighbor. Some of you, God is saying, follow me now. Instead of just going to work with blinders on, go to work with eyes open and see who you can love and who you can tell the good news to. Because we've got these blessing bags back there. For those of you who don't know how they work, it works like this. You know somebody who's struggling a little bit. Maybe they have to choose one bill over the other. Maybe it's a a single parent. Maybe it's a family and they just are having trouble making the ends meet. Maybe they go here. Maybe they don't. You don't have to ask me, hey, Pastor Ryan, can I take a bag? Nope. Here's all you have to do. You take a bag and however many people it's going to feed, you go to the chalkboard where I wrote in my awful handwriting, there's hash marks. Because I'm toweling the number of people we feed as a chapel. Because I want to get to 10,000 by the end of this school year. So you take a bag, tally. It's feeding two people. One, two. Next week, come back, take a bag. How many people? Three. One, two, three. Because when Jesus calls us to go, we've got to just simply follow. We don't just go think about it in our room. We don't just break down the original language. Just get up and go. This is the kind of conversion that I I wish that I could see more of, and I love it. I love when I see someone just get gripped so tightly by the good news of Jesus that they they drop anything. And it doesn't have to be. It's not always the the radical ones. We always highlight the radical ones, and I'm super pumped, you guys. I'm, I'm glad that we have people that go and give their lives in the jungle. I wish all of us would approach our lives here like missionaries approach their lives there, where we sit and we say, what would it look like if I were going to be a missionary in Fishhawk, in Valrico, in Riverview? Because here's what missionaries don't do. They don't just go to the local church gathering and get connected to them. They go where the people are who need Jesus. Every Sunday, nearly every Sunday without fail, if you want to hang out with me, I drive from here and I go to my brewery. Levin Brewery. You know why? Yes, I like beer. It's not the only reason or the main reason. Because people at breweries don't lie to me. (laughs) People in churches lie to me all the time. Hey, how's it going? Can I pray for you for anything? No, my life is great. Uh, uh. People in church buildings, when they say a bad word around me, they go, oh, I'm so sorry. The reason I go to breweries is so when people swear at me, they don't apologize because I'm a human. It's not offending me. I went to high school in the 90s. Okay? I've, I've, I've been a pinch hitter for the, for the youth group here. I've hung out around these youth group kids 
when Edwin's out of town. I'm not like, oh, I've never heard that word before. Now, some of these words I don't get. Like, I still don't know what ratchet even means. <laughs> I also go there because there were people there that maybe don't know the gospel of Jesus. Chances are likely if I go to a Starbucks and try to strike up a conversation with strangers, like Christians have just flooded into coffee shops. Christians are like the virus of coffee shops. We go there and we hang out with our Bibles. I don't see Christians hanging out in breweries where people are turning to a substance to numb a pain in their life at times. I don't see Christians oftentimes going to the places like uh, when I first was here, everyone told me, do not go to Ebor after 10 p.m. Do not go to Ebor because that's when the real rowdy, messed up people come out. Do you know what that sounds like in my ears? Go to Ebor after 10 p.m. Because that's where people need the gospel. Well, don't you just want to preach? This is, I'm hardly ever going to make people mad here. And if I do, you'll just leave and I won't have to see you next week. This is a safe zone. It shouldn't be. Because I'm, I'm asking some of you to follow right now. I'm asking some of you to say, where am I going to be a missionary today? Some of you need to give up some things in your life. They gave up their nets. They just dropped them. There are some things that you guys will have to and God will call you to let go of. Let go of your need to have this much money. Let go of your need to have this person like me, like you. Let go of your need to have your kids excel and get these grades. You've got to let go of some things. If you're not letting go of something, there might be a chance that Jesus is not calling you. Because when Jesus calls you, people let go of something in their life. Because you can't hold on to two things that are serving different purposes. You've got to let go so you have hands that can grab onto Jesus. Well, my kid got his uh, FSA test scores. He's so proud because he's, he's, he's wicked smart, that Jackson. And he said, Daddy, look, I only missed one point on my FSA in math. And because I'm an Asian parent, I said, you missed one too many. No, I didn't say that. <laughs> that would have been so mean. <laughs> Instead, I said, uh, I said I'm, I'm so proud of you that you did so good on your math score and you, did, you were above average in your reading. But you, you know what I'm most concerned about, right? Because um, the thing that, that Jackson wrestles with is that he loves to be loved. And I think some of us in here need and love to be loved. And it wasn't until, um, and this comes up, it's a cycle in my life. I was watching Mr. Rogers, and, and I cry a lot at home. I try not to cry here as often. And, uh, and our need to be loved is so strong. Jackson needs to be loved, and no matter how much I tell him, he still needs it from other people. Uh, some of us are in that same boat. Some of you are like me. You didn't know the love of a father. Maybe he was not there. Maybe he was there, but just not present. You know what I'm talking about? You were sacrificed on the altar of a job career. Maybe some of you moms or dads have, have done that. A tragedy against your kids. I know that I'm guilty of it. Uh, there are times where I'm just, uh, I call it unwinding time. Dad needs to unwind. And then I thought, well, 
why do I need to unwind? What am I letting my job wind me up to the point where I need to unwind when I'm around my kids? It doesn't make sense. So long ago, I started forsaking ministry so that I could love my kids better. Someone recently was trying to have a meeting with me, and they could only meet in the evenings. And I said, look, I get two nights that I schedule away from my family a week, and I leave a third night open for emergencies. So you're three weeks out for me, buddy. And they were like, oh, I, I understand. And, and they understood because they had seen sometimes what we do. We need to try to be pastors, be the savior to you guys, or, or be there so that everyone loves us. Sometimes I just say, this is why we're a church family, not a church orphanage. Sometimes you go to the hospital and your small group leader should visit you. It's, it's not like this magic thing that I have that other people don't. Ree was having an allergic reaction to something this morning. She's still saying for you guys. Uh, her husband, who's one of our elders, prayed for her. She took a Benadryl. I waited about a couple minutes. And I said, Ree, I'm going to pray for you because God loves my prayers better than his. And I prayed for her just as the Benadryl kicked in. <laughs> I leaned over to Eric and said, see, God loves me more. <laughs> it's not true. God loves the Jesus in all of us. But he wants you to follow him. He wants it to be immediate, and you will have to drop something to go. What is he calling you to drop today? What is it that you're holding on to? Is it your job? Is it not your job? Is it your relationship? Is it a bad relationship you're in? Some of you single people, you need to drop that bum you are with. If you're dating a guy that's like 30-something and still playing Fortnite, ditch him. Find someone that reads the Bible and doesn't play Fortnite. Some of you dads, you're here like, oh, don't come after my Fortnite. Seriously? Eternal kingdom of God. Game that 12-year-olds love. I don't know why. I don't know why this is a thing. Some of you need to confess and repent of the other things that you, the nets you're holding on to. Some of you have been looking at things on, on your phones or computers that you know. Like, I'm trying to live for Jesus, but I keep going back to this addiction. I'm trying to live for Jesus, but I can't put down this drink, this drug, this habit. What are you going to drop today, and will you follow immediately? Don't waste time. Whatever the call is, run to it today. Let's pray. Father, I love you. There, there's nothing and no one above you. Lord, if you tell someone in this room to go, I pray that we would follow. Lord, I pray that we would understand what it means to follow. I pray that we would drop the, the nets that are holding us back, the nets that are keeping us tied to our old life, so that we could go to the jungle, so that we could go to the coffee shop, so that we can go to the bars, so that we could go and minister to those who no one else is reaching out to. God, it breaks my heart that there are groups of people that Christians won't even go near for the most part. It breaks my heart that followers of Jesus are not lovingly entering into more discussions with the LGBT community, that we're not entering into discussions with people who are in the, the sex industry, that we're not being the light of Christ in those areas, that we're not taking over symptom centers like bars and places where people try to find temporary relief for eternal pains. So God, call us, send us, and change us so that we let go of our nets and follow you. In Jesus' name, amen.